Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. All right, how you doing? So Tim Allen said that the Daytona 500 is today and he's worried about missing it. It's like a five-hour race or something, right? How long does it go? Three hours. So thanks for the challenge. (laughs) It's good to see all of you today. We've been talking about, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, the fruit of the Spirit and how it manifests in our life. The title of the series we call Change Isn't Change Until It's Change. And so we're looking at not at moral Reformation, but spiritual transformation, the difference between just following a bunch of rules, you know, not, okay, we got saved from the Old Testament, now we're going to do New Testament rules. And not just moralism, but actual transformation and how the Holy Spirit does that. So we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit that manifests itself in, in different ways in our life. We're, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit through the life of Jesus. So we talked about the love of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, the patience of Jesus. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good series. I'm not trying to get you to say yes, but, uh, but you can. You can say that. Uh, it was a good series. And, and one of the reasons why I felt like it was a good series because I learned some stuff. I learned some new stuff. And I hope I was able to teach you some things that you haven't thought about before. It was a blessing to me to, you know, for what the Lord was sharing with me. Uh, One of the things that we learned was in John chapter 16, where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better for you that I go away uh, because the Holy Spirit's going to come. He says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth, for he'll not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So we're learning how the role, the, the, the job, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to take the truth and the beauty and glory of Christ and make it real to us so it becomes apparent to us. We become amazed by it. We become enthralled by it. We become, uh, you know, just overwhelmed by it. Uh, J.I. Pecker uses this illustration. He says the Holy Spirit's job is to floodlight the glory and beauty and the complete work of Christ. So it's a floodlight. With floodlights shine on a building so that you notice the building. That you don't, you don't say, oh, look what beautiful floodlights. You, you're, you look at, you see the, the floodlights' purpose is to shine light on the building. And the best floodlights, you wouldn't even know, they would, you would notice. A lot of times they actually buried the floodlights in the ground so that they don't block anything and they shine on the building. And that's, that's what the role of the Holy Spirit. He's shining the light on, on Christ. Not so, not so that we'll say, oh, oh, it's the Holy Spirit. So we'll be enthralled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always moving us to look to Jesus. You know, not to say I want some of those floodlights, but I want more of Jesus. So we're going to pivot from that series. And we're starting a new series today. Uh, about experiencing God. What does it mean to experience God? How, how does the Holy Spirit come into our life? How does he, you know, we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's, we use the term the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
so that you can know and experience God's word. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, experiencing the Spirit of God and what that means. What does it mean to experience God? So today, I'm going to talk about the freedom of the Spirit based in Romans, uh, what it means to experience God. No condemnation means no condemnation. And then what repentance does. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, great passage of Scripture. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what does it mean to experience God? Well, in Romans chapter 8, the, it, the, that was the first verses of Romans chapter 8. The last verses of chapter 8, Paul in Romans says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does it mean to experience God? It's the Holy Spirit is taking Jesus and making him real to us so that we understand the love of God. He's making the love of God real to us and helping us understand that nothing can separate us. If we're in Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither life nor death, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, powers, heights, depth, any other created thing. He's, what's, Paul, what's, what's Paul trying to do? He's trying to cover all the bases. Well, what about this? You know, because we would say, well, what about this? Nothing can separate you. If you. So it's said that Romans is the, is the climax of the Bible. It, it, it breaks the gospel down and the whole story of the Bible down in the most effective way. And then that Romans chapter 8 is the climax of Romans and that this, these verses, Romans 8, 38, and 39, are the climax of Romans chapter 8. So the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is convince you that you love God. And that God loves you. So that's, that's how you get saved. You know how you got saved? The Holy Spirit started working on you. The Holy Spirit started dealing with your heart and letting you know that God loved you and was, was telling you that you couldn't save yourself and you needed to let God save you. So the Holy Spirit begins to work on your heart and that that revelation that comes into us then brings salvation. Then in the same way that he continues to work so that we understand and know the love of God, and and that brings transformation. We're both saved and transformed. In other words, you might understand that we would use the transformed, you might use the word sanctified. The word sanctified means to be made holy, So God wants to make you holy. He wants to transform you into the image of Christ. So we're both saved and transformed by his love. He doesn't save us by first showing us his love and then transform us by showing us condemnation. God doesn't begin by, this is how you get saved. You come to know the love of God and understand the love of God, but But then he brings condemnation to save us. No, he doesn't work that way. And the degree, to the degree that you don't understand 
how much God loves you and the price that he paid so that you would know that love, your Christian life will be dysfunctional. So the Holy Spirit is in the business, as we're learning, to reassure you that you can't lose him and he can't lose you. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he begins with therefore. So we, whenever there's a therefore, I know you know this little, you know, little ditty. Whenever there's a therefore, you look to see what the therefore is there for. Because the therefore means something was said before, and then he's summarizing it. He's, he's saying, so because of that, therefore this. So Paul, <coughs> excuse me, in Romans 7, uh, verses 14, 25, these are the verses just before Romans 8, 1. He is, he's talking about the conflict of the two natures, the spiritual nature and the carnal nature. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what am I doing? I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good, so that now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. Are you with me still? I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind, I'm serving the law of God, but on the other, with the flesh, the law of sin. So you can imagine, I don't know if you understood this at all, if you followed it at all, but basically Paul is saying, I have an internal struggle, and I still am struggling with sin. So there's been a lot of conflict over the years about what these verses mean. Are are these verses describing a pre-conversion Paul? In other words, that he struggled with sin before he was converted. There are those who would say that this is all about Paul before he became a Christian. Then there are those who would say, no, this, Paul's not writing before he was a Christian. He was, after he was a Christian, you could pick up, you know, 10 different commentaries and probably get all kinds of different, all kinds of different responses. This is Paul. You know, I think, who is saying this? You know, this isn't Joe Blow Christian who's just barely getting by. This is Paul. He's, he's, uh, he's daily laying down his life for the gospel of Christ. He's going to die for his faith in Christ. He was personally called by Jesus to be an apostle and to go to the Gentiles. Now, we know he's not perfect because we see that he loses his temper and he says some things he shouldn't say, and he's open about that. He's not perfect, but he's a pretty good model of being a Christian. I mean, he's he shipwrecked and he trusts God and he gets beaten many times. He's, 
He's stoned. They believe to death, but he didn't die. Uh, they, they, he fought with the wild beast at Ephesus. I don't know what that looks like, but they didn't digest him. I mean, they didn't eat him. They didn't kill him. So he must have won. So Paul fought with the wild beast at Ephesus, and he came out on top. But still, I don't know how that happens, right? Except for the Lord's help. But, you know, he's not perfect, but he's a pretty good model of a Christian. So, so is Paul saying that as a Christian, I'm still fighting against sin? Doesn't it sound like that? I mean, he seems to say that. So is he talking about pre-conversion or post-conversion? In Romans 7, 22, he says this, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, he says, Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. So it, it seems to me, based on his own teaching, so Paul, based on Romans 7, saying that only, only, only a converted person can joyfully concur with the law of God, he says, because the natural man's not able to do so. It appears that he's saying that I joyfully agree with the word of God. What the natural man cannot do. He needs to, seems to me to be saying, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but I'm still struggling with sin. Paul is recognizing that he is not living a perfect, sinless life yet. But, he, but that's his goal because he said, and he also says, Philippians, forgetting things are behind, I press towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. So he's, he, that's his goal. He wants to. He's trying to, but he's failing. In other words, he's, he's not measuring up to the perfection that Jesus has given him in salvation. He's perfectly saved, but he's not measuring up to it. But he says, but I'm not condemned. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation means no condemnation. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you would say, I love Jesus I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I'm not perfect yet. Wouldn't that be all of us? Some of you didn't raise your hands. I don't know if you're just so tired. You're like, oh, I don't know. I worshiped. I raised my hands in worship. To have to do it, but that and the sermon, it's just too much. Uh, condemnation means to condemn a decision against someone, a con condemnatory judgment to rule against. For most of us, we understand that when we come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit draws us, convinces us of the love of Jesus and of our inability to save ourselves. And, he, and when we say, yes, I want Jesus in my life, it's really simple. He does all the work. We just believe what he says, and we believe on that revelation that he brings to us, and that he takes away our sin and our condemnation. So we believe that when we get saved, right, he takes away our sin. If he takes away our sin, he takes away our condemnation. There's, no, there's nothing for anybody to judge us over because the sin's dealt with. And the reality is not just the sin is dealt with, but the sin is dealt with which sin is dealt with. The sin's in our past. 
are all dealt with, and the sins in our present, I mean, even your today sins, and your tomorrow sins. So which sins are covered? So there's one of the reasons he said there's no condemnation, because there's never a sin that can be brought up against you because they've all been covered in Jesus. But, but we struggle with this because we believe that but as we go along in the Christian life, we come to feel that we move in and out of condemnation. So we sin. Does anybody in here sin? I'm not going to, don't answer that. We all sin. Would we, would we agree with that? So we sin. So we sin and we feel condemnation. So maybe we repent. And then we feel like, okay, I'm, I'm all right. So that, now there's no condemnation. So we're in no condemnation. Then we sin. And then we feel condemnation. And then we repent. And then there's no condemnation. And we just, we feel like we're going back and forth. Some people call that daisy salvation. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that there is now no condemnation. Condemnation for the believer does not exist. It has been removed. We may condemn ourselves, but God doesn't. So then, so then we have these verses that are confusing. So that's Paul writing you know, to the Romans. John, the apostle John, in 1 John chapter 1, talks about repentance. So John talks about repentance. Well, if our sins are covered and there's no condemnation, why would we ever need to repent? Right? Here's what John says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would we ever need to repent if there's no condemnation? When we sin, most of us believe we are condemned until we confess our sin and we're moving in and out of condemnation. But Paul says there's therefore now no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? Because notice what John did say, and we've talked about this before. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So God is just. We're forgiven by the work of Christ, and we receive grace and mercy to get it, but it's the justice of God that works on our behalf. So let's, we're having an imaginary conversation in heaven. And so the Father, Jesus goes before the Father because he's our advocate. John also says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So let's just say that, you know, that... Jesus is bringing me before the Father. And he says, Father, we're here today with Randy. You know, we're here with his sin, sin number 8,052. Yes, this year. Yes, the same thing. Yes. And it's like, well, he's committed the sin. He's guilty. Well, Father, I just want to remind you I know you know this, Father, because you're the just judge of the universe, but I just want to remind you that my sacrifice on the cross, that I carried every one of his sins on the cross, 
I paid the price, and I paid with my blood and my life for his sin on the cross. So it would be unjust for you to take two payments. So because Jesus is just and the justifier, he justifies us. And so that God doesn't account that to my account because why? Because it's already been paid. It's already taken care of. How could he condemn a sin that's already paid for? That would be a double payment. So why do we need to confess our sins if they're already paid for and dealt with? I believe it's that we, we need to ask help to deal with the shame and the guilt we feel and the separation we feel because we have not trusted him and have not believed him. We've rejected his way. We're asking for forgiveness, not to get our sins covered, but to show sorrow for not trusting him, for taking matters into our own hands, for not trusting Jesus with our life, our marriage, our finances, our future, our everything. I mean, you think about how does, how, what's happening. Well, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that in self, the self-control of Jesus, one of the things the enemy, the enemy's always selling shortcuts, and the enemy wants you to get off of God's plan for your life. He wants you to get off the road. So he wants you to just take this exit ramp. Just take this exit ramp. And sometimes, you know, you, you think, I'll just get off and get right back on, but then sometimes there's consequences. But the Holy Spirit wants, wants to nudge us to get back on the road. The, the Holy Spirit works kind of like, you know, Siri. Or, or, or Mrs. Google. What, what is Mrs. Is Alexa is Mrs. Google? Okay, Alexa, any, any of those demon programs. Uh, so you, let's say you're driving, you're going to drive to Austin. And you get to Waco, and, and in, as you're passing through Waco, you remember. I don't know if you know about a place called the Health Camp which is right off of 35 in Waco. It's, there's not anything healthy about it. They have old-fashioned hamburgers, and they used to consider that health food because it had salad and meat and bread, and they make milkshakes that are just, it's all, if you were, think you're going to go to heaven, just get one of their milkshakes, and you're just a little jump, and you're all going to be there. I mean, you're like, and they make milkshakes in every, any flavor you can imagine. My favorite, which I haven't had in a long, long time, is peanut butter. Yeah, there it is. That's it. There's the health camp right there. That's, see? Now, here's the thing. The minute you get off the highway, what, is, what does Siri and Alexa say? rerouting or proceed to the route. You can't take a break with Siri. You can't get gas. You can't get a hamburger and a milkshake. You got to stay on track. It's letting you know you're off track. Well, see, that's, that's kind of what the Holy Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit is just gently, he, he's not beating us over the head with it. He's just saying, hey, hey, remember where you're going. Remember the destination. Remember, you're, you're, getting off, you're getting off track here. You need to remember where you're going, remember where you're headed. 
So the Holy Spirit just gently, he's gently, he's, he's not beating us over the head. He's not condemning us because why? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not condemning us, but he wants to help us deal with the stuff that we feel is separating us from God. Think about this. I, I have some dear friends. I went to the house a couple of years ago, and they were showing me their apartment, and, and I opened a closet that, you know, to look in their closet because I'm nosy. Uh, they were standing, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I didn't sneak back there. They were standing right with me. We were doing a tour of their house, you know, their house. I opened the closet, and the floor of their closet was covered with dirty clothes. There's a dirty pile of laundry. And they were so embarrassed. But, I mean, they shouldn't have been, right? I mean, everybody has dirty laundry. Life creates it. Life gets you dirty. Kids get you dirty. I feel it's quite a success. If, if I'm with the grandkids on Sunday and I can make it home without having snot on my clothes. That's the, it's the snottiest bunch of kids I've ever seen in my life. I mean, all of them. All four of them. They're just like, they're like mucusville. It's like, it's like moving into mucusville. And then and on top of that, when they eat, they're messy. And, and, you, can, and, and you can see it coming. You can, you, know, you can see it's happening. They got their hands dirty, and they're coming at you. And you're like, don't touch me. And then it becomes a game to them. It's like, you, oh, don't touch you. Watch this. <laughs> but that's life. Isn't, it? Isn't that life? It, it, you, you get dirty. Everybody gets dirty. Work gets you dirty. Everybody and everything gets dirty. Sometimes you get behind. Anybody get behind in your laundry? Man, when, mom, when Tina's mom lived with us, she was a laundry queen. She loved to do laundry, and we loved for her to do it. She would always, she would always do a running. I'm going to do a running, a laundry. And she, would, she was always great at that. But, you know, sometimes you don't have mama living with you, and you got a big pile of laundry, and you need to get caught up. I mean, you don't keep it in the middle of the living room. You hide it in the closet. You put it in the laundry room. Why do you do that? Because you're embarrassed? No, because it's smelly. It's dirty. And so Jesus just wants to help you with your dirty laundry. He's not, he's not going to shame you because you got dirty laundry. He knows you got dirty laundry. Everybody's got dirty laundry. He just wants to help you with it. He wants, he wants to come into your life. He doesn't want you to hide it and stockpile it like you don't have any. He doesn't act like you don't, like, I'm not even going to put a washer and dryer in my house because we don't have dirty laundry. Yeah, you do. That just means you're just going to go somewhere else and wash it. I mean, wouldn't it be weird, think about it, if you never did the laundry, you just took it when it got dirty and you put it in plastic bags and you hid it in a closet somewhere in the house and just hoarded it away? Some of you have done that. You've done that with stuff in your life that Jesus wants to just take. And, and he doesn't want to shame you. He doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to help you. He wants to just help you with your dirty laundry. Say, hey, let me take that. And you're like, oh, no, I'm embarrassed about this. I, I really got this dirty. And so we've got it hidden away. So, see, the enemy uses that. See, one of the reasons God wants us to deal with this is because the enemy 
is the accuser of the brethren, and he wants to use all of that against you. So that when God says, hey, I want you to work with the, you know, I'd, I'd like you to work with the teenagers. And you're like, oh I, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And the enemy says, look at, hey, come here, look at this closet. Look at all this stuff in here. You cannot work with teenagers. You're more messed up than they are. That sounds impossible, I know. But you are. You, you can't. Or, you know, I would... It doesn't matter what you want to do. The enemy's the accuser, and he's going to take it. He wants to use that against you because you've hidden this stuff away. Like, oh, I don't you know. If everybody knew this about me, they, would, they, would, they wouldn't like me. Guess what? Who in here has dirty laundry? Everybody. If you don't have some today, you're going to have some tomorrow. We all have it, and we all need help with it. And so the enemy comes to keep us. So repentance is not this, oh, i got to repent. Oh, it's horrible. It's, it's bad. I'm evil. I'm, I'm wicked. Oh, God, can you forgive me? It's like, can you forgive me? Already done. Can, you forgi- can, can I forgive you? Done. Did. Happened. You're forgiven. It's, it's not... It's not really because of how he feels about us. It's because how we feel about him. He scares me when he does it every time. (laughs) We want to let him help us. Let the Holy Spirit help you. We we have a lady who comes uh, every other week or so and cleans the house. And we pay her. And we're glad she does it. We don't like what, but I, I know people who clean the house before the house cleaner comes because they don't want to be embarrassed that their house is dirty. Right? If there's somebody sitting next to you that does that, point at them. So, thank you. You don't don't do that. Don't. Don't feel shame about your dirty laundry. Don't feel shame about the dirt. That's why you're getting the help. The enemy doesn't want you to, I mean, Jesus, the enemy doesn't want you to feel shame. Jesus doesn't want you to feel shame for sin. He just wants you to feel clean and whole and not condemned. He wants you to know how much he loves you. And he doesn't change you with condemnation. He doesn't transform you with confirmation, with with condemnation. He transforms us by his love. Romans 8, 38. Let's just touch on this again. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. He's like, you know, I I may have forgotten something here. I'm just going to throw everything else in the box because everything else is created. You understand that? Or anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in Jesus Christ, you need to understand and get this, that this is settled. It's done. You need to let the Holy Spirit work this thoroughly into your heart so that you believe and know and experience. We experience. We feel it. We know it. We believe it. That the love of God, that God loves us and he accepts us because of what Jesus has done. And there is now no zippo 
nada, zilch, right? But if you're not in Christ, if, you, if this isn't settled, you can settle it today. Because the Lord is here. And, and you may not have been here before, and you may not be, even come here very often, but the very reason you may be here today because the Holy Spirit's been drawing you. And he's been showing you how much he loves you. He wants you to know that he wants to come and take that burden of sin away from you. He wants, he wants to set you free from all that past and all that sin. He wants to give you life in him. He wants to save you. And he died to do it. He paid the price to do it. And all you have to do, because he did the heavy lifting, all you have to do is believe on what he did was for you. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, that's not the end. I want to let you know. That's not the end of salvation. That's the beginning of the walk with the Lord. It's not like, oh, I, I went forward to the church 40 years ago. I'm good. you got to keep walking. Keep believing. Keep trusting. But you can get it settled today. If you just call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Let's stand. Now, I know that some of you got some closets with some dirty laundry. And the enemies used it against you. Things where you messed up in the past. Anybody here sinned recently? Well, don't raise your hand. Failures, sins, shortcomings, stupid stuff. The enemy wants to just point all that out. Look at this. 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 Look at that. You know what our answer is to that? It's all been paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation. You know, we're not saying that to God. Paul is not writing that to the Romans so that they'll say to God, God, there is no condemnation. He's saying that so that they'll say it to themselves so that you will believe it. So you'll get it. There's no condemnation. Father, in Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for everyone in here that's, that is caring, that daisy relationship. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Your love isn't changing. Help us understand how constant, how glorious it is, how, how much it is. It's not a trickle. It's a flood. It's not a little. It's a lot. Help us to understand the love of Christ. It overcomes every failure, every shortcoming. It saves us. It keeps us. It transforms us. Through the blood of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I love you. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.